My Father is glorified by this, as you bear much fruit and become my disciples. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, well, good morning to everyone. It's good to see you all here and uh, to be gathered together for this, uh, this baptisms uh, to welcome more people into the body of Christ. You know, today's New Testament passages, if you go back through them, they give us uh, a guided tour of first century Christianity. We have Jesus instructing his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. We see his words enacted on the wilderness road to Gaza. And decades later, the community that gathered around the beloved disciple considers the quality of love. And though each of these provides its own window into our faith, I want to lift up today the story of Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. Because here we see the spirit-driven church on the move, and we find questions for our time. If, if, as I said last week, the resurrected church and the resurrected Christ is the power, the resurrected Christ is the power of God set loose upon the world, then what is his church? Who are we in relation to that power? Our story from the Acts of the Apostles tells us that if the church stays close to Christ, abiding in him and remembering that he is its source, the church can be an unstoppable power for good. And you recall the backstory to today's passage. The disciples are on the move. Why? They've been driven by catastrophe. Stephen is dead. Having been dragged out of the city and stoned by a fundamentalist mob, persecution is everywhere. Paul now known as Saul at this point, is dragging men and women into prison. And Jerusalem is no longer a safe place. And so all but the apostles have scattered, but they have not gone underground. They are proclaiming the gospel in towns and villages. Philip heads to Samaria, then south toward Gaza, directed by an angel of the Lord. It is as if Jesus' final predictions before his ascension are coming true. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia was thought to be the end of the earth. And it is from there that this court official came to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, this man was an important man. You could, in a sense, put him on the same level as, uh, say, Jerome Powell, head of the Fed, right? Because he is the head of the treasury for the queen. He's also a learned man, well-versed in Hebrew and in Greek. And most important, he is a man after my own heart, a man hungry, for the word of God. 
Philip's sojourn in Samaria was but one example of the Holy Spirit bringing people to Christ who were considered impure, not quite holy. Now he encounters someone who is even less likely a Jew and one whose body has been mutilated. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, Such a man shall not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. And yet he has come to worship. And then there is this counter. And this encounter tells us that the Lord is doing a new thing. That there is a power that is being set loose. The scripture tells us that when this happens, that is an evidence that the Messiah, the messianic power, the renewal is on the move and is breaking in. But um, don't take my word for it. This is Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 7. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. That's what Scripture says about what happens when the eunuch is brought in to the assembly. They will have an everlasting name, and they will be joyful. Now, we don't know the eunuch's name, but we know his story. The ancient theologian, Irenaeus of Lyon, who preached in the second century, knew his story. The great preacher, John Chrysostom of Constantinople, knew his story. St. Jerome, who gave us the Vulgate, knew his story. Down through the centuries, we have treasured the story of the Greek and the Ethiopian who meet, who break open the Word of God, one of the servant songs from Isaiah and end up as brothers in Christ. There is joy in this story. As the Isaiah passage says, there is joy. Joy in the story, joy in the gospel. The baptized Ethiopian goes on his way rejoicing. This is the day the Lord has made. Let him rejoice and be glad in it. Who's to say that he did not carry the good news of Jesus Christ to his homeland beyond the Nile? And poor Philip got snatched by the Spirit and found himself up the road in Azotus and then farther on up the coast in Caesarea, preaching the gospel all the way. There is a reason why he is known as Philip the Evangelist. The story sets more questions before us. Because it demonstrates how the Spirit thwarts the prejudices, the reluctance, 
that religions and societies fall into time and time again. The Spirit said to Philip, go over to his chariot and join us. And so a disciple was born. But brothers and sisters, the Ethiopian is not merely an example of a foreigner who was brought to Christ. He challenges us with the questions that go straight to the heart of all our ideas about mission and evangelism. You look around on a church, any church, and the question is, who is missing from the congregation? And why? What if the gospel is truly a home for all who abide in the body of Christ? What if every church can be a welcoming home for anyone who comes through its doors, no matter what their past is or no matter what something as inconsequential as what the color of their skin may be? Is that too much to ask? Is that something beyond the power of God? Or is it that our imaginations are too small? You know, sometimes it's our fears that get in the way. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the other. Our fears can be the Holy Spirit's biggest obstacle. Yet, what did we hear in the passage there from 1 John? Those Christians gathered in Ephesus. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is the antidote to fear. And by perfect, they mean a love that has reached maturity in a depth of spirit. Love that can correct and accept correction. Love that looks upon the world through the eyes of Christ. This is the love that empowers and convicts the Christian church. Here again, the words from John's community. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they, have not, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now there is a verse worthy of some deep reflection and contemplation and perhaps repetition. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I began this sermon with Jesus telling his followers and by extension all of us that his father is glorified by our bearing fruit and becoming his disciples. The passage from Acts and the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip illustrates one example of what this means, of bearing fruit and becoming disciples. And brothers and sisters, I cannot say what this all means for us. I do not know what seeds the Holy Spirit is planting in this church and amongst your hearts. But I do know that it will take some time for them to bear fruit and to mature I read that a grapevine can take two or three years to bear fruit. An apple tree can take six years. An avocado tree can take 10 to 15 years 
before it bears fruit. Bearing fruit does not happen overnight. But the scripture tells us that indeed it does happen and it will happen as long as we abide in the one who is the true vine. And remember that we are his branches designed to bear fruit, the fruit of good work through the gospel's proclamation for the glory of God. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear fruit and live as his disciples. Amen.